0: Hello, and welcome back to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week I have a special episode. I have an interview with Dublin-based poet Jessica Trainer. In the interview she talks to us about the sequence of which poems she wrote for her collection The Quick. It's a fascinating interview that feels particularly suitable at this time of year. I hope
1: you enjoy it. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about Witches, which is a sequence in my second collection, The Quick, which was published by Daedalus Press in 2018. Um, And these are a sequence of poems that came together over the course of a couple of years. I never sat down to write this sequence. It was one that just kind of started to coagulate, I think is probably the best word, as my writing around the collection went on. And when I was writing this collection, I was thinking a lot about a lot of the themes that do crop up in my work a lot, which is the uncanny, uh, the supernatural, but also women and women's lives and how women relate to each other, and particularly women In Irish society, and the multi generational relationships that are there, the sometimes strange and damaging and gleefully wonderful dynamics that are explored or that exist in my own generation. But also, I've always been interested in thinking about my mother's generation. She comes from a very big family with a lot of very strong willed women in it. Um, And I, as an only child, you know, coming from this very big family, would spend a lot of time when I was growing up watching these women interact and these were women who would have been born between the 1940s and the 1950s so they grew up in an Ireland incredibly different from the Ireland that I had the privilege to be born into in the 1980s and they had to fight for everything And a lot of these struggles were outward struggles, um, but some of them were inward struggles and they were the struggles of women within a patriarchal society uh, where there are a lot of power plays that go on behind the scenes. And I found myself utterly fascinated by the way that these women managed to kind of carve out a space for themselves. And they would have been women who would not necessarily have had the chance to go to third level education. They would have the ambition would have been for them to marry well and have a good stable life which meant that most of them were married in their early 20s and mm-hmm. um, which was the norm at the time but also you know like many people who settle into relationships in their early 20s it may not have been the best choice for them ultimately <laughs> Um, And You know, often then those marriages became very, very fraught as time went on and as children came into the mix. Um, And I think of them in a sense as a microcosm for a lot of the societal changes that were happening in Ireland. And I'm just going to start my reading from the sequence with the second poem, which is very much inspired by the tensions that I might have witnessed between these women and the world that surrounded them. The witches manifest as a fry of eels. I grew up in a bed of electric eels who twist in their skirts, writhing to escape. Sometimes static would sizzle through their skin, and if you caught their eye, you'd see the spark that lived there. Each married a shadow, always in search of a body. And my eels cried crackling tears, their voltage soaring until the time came. They'd pin you with a stare, pull you close, fry the heart in your chest. And one of the dynamics I suppose I witnessed and lived through was the divorce referendum of 1990, which is my first kind of political Mm. memory. I would have been, you know, six at the time. Uh, So I wasn't entirely aware of what was going on, but I knew there was debate happening in society and people talking about what it meant, you know, this kind of sense of what will it mean for Irish society if this goes through? And I remember... The argument for was, you know, this is for extreme cases. The good women of Ireland love their husbands and they're not going to <laughs> and they're not going to break up the family farm and all of these things that were very yeah. much uh, awesome at the time. And, you know, the argument against was, you know, every single woman in Ireland is going to leave their husbands. If That's this comes yeah. society will break down. There'll be chaos. There'll be you <laughs> know, carnage in the streets. <laughs> And then the referendum passed um, and every one of my aunts and my mother left their husbands, pretty And that informed, and that in the kind of the dynamic that I would have witnessed within those marriages, with a little bit of the gothic thrown in, informed this next poem, which is called The Witch's Love Song to Her Ex." You're a punch bag, a suit stuffed with duck down, a helium balloon in a furnace, but still you trip about forgetting your vitamins. A pint is not a meal. And between your pratfalls, lost jobs, unpaid loans, there are those tar pits we all tiptoe around, the abandoned wives, the children no one mentions because tar sticks and we don't like the look of your shoes. You're a laugh riot, an ice cube on a stove, an unattended chip pan spitting your gold into our faces and oh how it burns our eyes. But we hide it in the tiny pockets of silence that line our clothes, that keep us afloat in dark water when we drag you yet again towards the shore. And though your warehouse is bare, we are out here waiting, we fixers of men, to greet each arsehole with a toothy kiss, to pull the stones from your pockets, replace them with cups of tea that scald your balls as they spill, and to stop your mouth with slices of cake as we wrap a hundred scarves around your neck and wind and wind until you find you're choking. And isn't it only what's best for you? And doesn't it serve you right?
2: (laughs) That one is... Amazing to me because I I think you combine like this incredibly strong willed kind of sense of malice with like a really rural Ireland. Like I, I it's the cups of tea, it's the, the chip pan spitting, you know, it's something that I don't generally associate with such a heavy gothic malicious presence but you combine the two of them so very very well
1: so. i mean i think I, I i really like and of course this is only one side of of my experience growing up but yeah. like i have always been interested in how and how you know paradynamics and those atmospheres can just weave their way in until to me you know a chip pan is that most gothic of things because you just don't see them anymore uh, but like no, it's true everyone in my generation has a story about how they nearly set their house on fire with one you know yeah. so they always to me they kind of they were something that was present in every kitchen that i that I was in when I grew up and um, but also there were these items of incredible danger you know where everybody had some story <laughs> about Chip and related injury, but alongside i suppose the the look at that kind of intergenerational um dynamic between the women um i'm also looking a little bit at my own. Family and growing up, and and those little moments of strangeness in childhood, and those kind of moments of identity formation that that really stick with you, and and have this kind of talismanic power. And I'm going to read just two short ones that try to capture that atmosphere of of my own kind of identity developing alongside the these other women who were so formative in my life. And the first one is called Scrying. In our old bathroom, the tall mirror balanced on the sink behind chrome taps. One day I looked up as it fell in slow motion and I stopped it with trembling arms, shrieked as its weight pressed down until my father heard and came to save me from the danger of my own small face. And this next short one is called The Want. My mother wrote a spell for what she wanted. Put it in a vase on a kitchen shelf to wait there till her wish came true. Wanting to know what a woman might need, I climbed up to read it but couldn't reach. When I dream our home, the vase is there still. So those poems, I suppose, are are about the kind of the mysteriousness of... Adult life, and um, and also this sense of kind of as you become an adult, the the small dangers that creep in, and um, and the first one was literally about an incident where a mirror fell on my head in our. So bathroom. this actually
2: happened. Well, that, that just happened.
1: Me? That just happened. We had this massive mirror that was supposed to be attached to the wall, but it just did You know. I think, like a lot of people growing up, there was a lot of stuff that just wasn't done around. One
2: hundred percent correctly, and then it, yeah, it inevitably caused chaos at some point. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so now there are a series of poems that are very that are very meaningful to me because they gave me yeah. the. I suppose, to try and contrast that kind of innocent, very open presence of the child and my own memories, the things that stuck in my head for the oddest reasons. And you think, okay, well, if we can't afford 29 sessions of psychoanalysis, I may as well try (laughs) to write things. Poems, because they are little things that become kind of talismanic to you, and um, and 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 it was very interesting for me to kind of contrast them with the bigger family and societal picture and those gender dynamics, I suppose, and to see where they fit into the puzzle. But to go back to what I said at the beginning, it was really only as I started to put the collection together that I realised that all of these poems were in conversation with one another, um, yeah. and 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 then it was a, a lovely thing to be able to put them together and see see how they did speak to each other and what kind of little narrative arc was there and um, there is one curse poem that I know I've read for your podcast before that I yes. really love yeah. reading and I enjoy reading because one of the things I was thinking about about the idea of of witchcraft and um, and and womanhood and um, and I think there's a lot of kind of You know, slightly kind of woo-woo nonsense about women as these essential magical beings, which I have quite... I don't have a huge amount of patience with that because I kind of feel like that's another mysterious box that we're putting women into, which is not necessarily helpful. But I do think there's something very interesting with dynamics in society where it's always the people who are the most oppressed in each situation who are the ones who curse. So if you go back over the... The Irish tradition of the curse poem, which is a really long standing tradition and also the Irish tradition of the curse. And um, there's fantastic articles about it online that you can read about the history of it. Um, and if you go into kind of anthropological areas and look at other societies and the traditions of cursing, it, it is the resort of those who have no actual power. Um, okay. And it started with the idea of, you know, obviously the, the women in my, my family, I'm not saying they were the most oppressed people in the world, but they were the most oppressed people. They had the fewest freedoms of the particular social circle that they were in. You know, yeah. they couldn't work after marriage. The marriage ban was in, you know, they couldn't buy anything without a husband co-signing. You know, there were all of these things that it's very easy to forget that they, that they lived through. But, you know, it started me thinking. Well, what do you do if you have no outlet for your anger? You know, if you if you really don't have any recourse, you curse. You know, you you okay. you try to sell the anger from yourself in that way. And um, and I think that that's something that's kind of healthy. Sometimes you just have to, Absolutely. you know, scream therapy, just scream it out into the universe. Absolutely. But also, it's something that still has a lot of power in our society. And often, I read this poem and and my my curse poem that I wrote, kind of in the voices of these gathered generations of women. You know, mm. no particular aunties or anything like that. But you know, they kind of I I I felt like I was writing the curse with these women behind me. You know,
2: sure, of. it was a collective curse. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was a kind of a collective thing going on there. And and I wrote it at a time in my life where something terrible had happened to me and there was nothing I could do about it. And I'm the kind of person who always likes to try and think about things from both sides and say, well, you know what you need to learn from this is that you should have done this. And and (laughs) that's how I cope with bad situations. But I just had a really bad thing happen where it was just crap. And I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't even take a lesson from it. It was just, too, you know, a, a kind of a collision course situation that I couldn't get out of and I just had to live with it. And I thought, okay, I've actually been kind of wronged here for the first time in my life. I'm like, no, I, I, you know, just a bad person did a bad thing. So I was like, I'm yeah. going to write this. And I was actually pregnant with my first daughter, when I was writing it and I kind of have felt about thought about the idea of okay these generations of women behind me who had loads of those experiences in their life I mean I'm very privileged I think you know bad things happen to people but I don't have to deal with even a quarter of the stuff that they had to they had to deal Mm -hmm. with in their lives kind of growing up in the in the from the mid-20th century in Ireland until now and they're all thankfully most of my answers still alive but I kind of thought well what would it be like to write something this dark and angry with the idea of these women behind me and then my daughter in my in my womb at the same time like yeah. how does that impact the whole thing and, and I just started thinking about it like well how, what is a curse you know and it's kind of something that attacks a person in their weakest point point. Um, and I thought about the particular person who'd annoyed me and and what they would hate the kind of things they would hate to happen to them and I thought okay I'm gonna write this stuff on paper and I'm really going to mean it because it's not going to change anything like it's not actually going to hurt this person you know I mean if I actually I you know I wouldn't really want any of these things to happen well maybe a little but not really like, well this is this is probably good this is probably this is probably a form of weird mindfulness now that I'm Inhabiting, but interestingly, Ben, when I read it at readings, I will often get people coming up to me afterwards, especially women of a certain age, just going, "Oh, be careful, be careful," <laughs> you know, in the kind of the transformative power of negativity. And I mean, I'm kind of thinking of it in a way of like, this is just me venting my anger, and it's not going to hurt anybody. Uh-huh. Is still a sense, and it happens to me quite frequently where people will say to me, "Just be careful, because it could come back on you." Is something that people say, you know. It's so interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of Catholic, but it's also kind of mystical, and I love that. I think that's yeah. the. Irish life is still so threaded through with that kind of mixture of deep Catholicism and mysticism. Um, and the two things do lend themselves beautifully to each other. Um, but I suppose now I've talked about it for half an hour. I better read The Curse poem: <laughs> The witch's Hex and Enemy. May the jelly in your eyes be eaten by eels. May your guts grow fins and escape out of your arse. "'May the springs of your bed slice your back like rusted knives. "'May boils fester your balls. "'May sleep desert you. "'May you not have one second of ease. "'May the closing of an eyelid be a scalpel to your retina. "'May your enemies shit on your grave till it becomes a blackened monument.'" This we wish on you with the power of our mothers, our grandmothers, all our sainted aunts, God help you. And with the unformed id of our gestating daughters, whose vision is nightmare, whose magic is cellular, whose name is splinter, shank, scrawl.
2: There is a wonderful, I'm struck a couple of times in that particular sequence that you've written in the quick of of the way you've chosen to write the poems, so the the first one, the witches manifest in a fry of eels, that reminded me almost of an eel moving. The way that you've constructed the poem itself, it's like a wriggling mass of something. And then in this particular poem, it's the two columns and then the final stanza, which I'm kind of fascinated about. It gives it such a kind of a repetition and a strength or a kind of almost a a tattoo of, of cursing where it just repeats again and again. And it really adds to that sense of like, I really don't like you as a person. And I I wish these things on you. I think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that I like doing is, is, is trying to inject some kind of play. You know, I I feel like for me, darkness and and humor often go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and, and and I kind of like the idea of of the the initial litany of curses being this very formal, um, kind of two columns that feel like they're part of a tradition, and um, and then the kind of rush in the final in the final stanza with, with this kind of you know army of unseen women <laughs> kind of breaking I, uh, out.
2: <laughs> it's so interesting to see you because I I found that when I was reading them the witches are sometimes very close to you. The witches are sometimes you. And then the witches are also sometimes this massive force that just exists. So you, you kind of flow through all these different definitions for which one of the things I thought was most interesting was the fact that you never condemn them for the fact that they're witches. It's quite common to see them as evil or something else, but a, a lot of cases, the witches in your poems are vindicated or justified and they carry a lot of dignity. I thought that was so interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, I was very interested in, again, I shy away from the idea of, I shy away from the idea of presenting witches as simply vilified women who are actually incredibly noble because I actually think that kind of does women as complex human beings a disservice. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes the witches are with me in this book and sometimes they're not my friends. You know, sometimes they're working against me because I think, you know, for me – the reason that patriarchy as a system is so complex and so difficult to unravel is because it makes people complicit in some ways. Um, And actually for me, the definition of a witch is a woman whose power is turned inwards. So it's damaging to her, you know, it's damaging to her and it's damaging to people around her. Now it is still a power and it can be wielded in certain situations and used to make things better, but it's a kind of, it's something that devours, you know, and, and it's a, it's a, I feel like it's a symptom of disempowerment and I really wanted to explore that like I love these I love these characters in these poems and I'm on their side but they are also volatile and that kind of volatility is created by the situation in which they find themselves you know as as generations of very intelligent women who who never got to really some of them did you know later in life went back and focused on career and and you know and and had very fulfilling have very fulfilling lives but there was a time when I was growing up where that just didn't seem to be on the table for for any of them you know um and and I think that that I think the damage of that needs to be acknowledged alongside the kind of the glee of the subversion subversion is always something that lends itself well to glee I think to this kind of wicked enjoyment sure. but the fact yeah. that it's even wicked and the fact that it's some subver- subversion is a problem you know it's it's a it's symptomatic of a problem in society and um, that that just shouldn't be a problem so yeah I would prefer I would prefer if none of us were witches okay <laughs> <You
2: know>? okay <laughs> But for now, you'll write poems about witches while it's necessary.
1: I will exactly, and I will mm. enjoy it too.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there uh, a few minutes ago about humor in in these poems. There is a fantastic juxtaposition between moments of. I won't say extreme violence because none of it is, is very extreme in the poems, but there are moments of sharp violence like retinas on your eyelids or something like this. But one that I found really interesting is you, you put that humor in almost as an aside a lot of the time. Parentheses come in a lot. For example, in the one, I just need to remember the exact name of the poem, The Witches Demonstrate How to Catch a Rabbit. You have <laughs> the, the incredibly throwaway line in the middle of this tension and kind of buildup where it says thermals are advisable, where you just kind of say, it's very cold. Don't, don't forget your jacket. If you're going to go out and take advantage of men's efforts and things like that, not in a negative sense, but you know what I mean? It was a very interesting kind of way of cutting through these moments of tension. For me.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I did enjoy this poem and this really is a kind of a I mean, for me, this is probably the most straightforward poem in the sequence around what what kind of I suppose kind of essentialist patriarchal systems bring out in us you know it's like the men are out to catch the rabbit but how do you get the rabbit you know yeah (laughs) i might i might read it actually just so people yeah people absolutely the witches demonstrate how best to catch a rabbit wait until the poachers have it gutted spitted sizzling until they're lulled by the patter of fat on the fire Then creep out of the trees, careful that the moonlight doesn't catch the bowie blade you've greased and wetted. The night may be cold. Thermals are advisable. Then grab a poacher by his cock and bring the knife up beneath it. Threaten to hack it root and branch so that he'll bleed out in the darkness with no ear to catch his frantic prayers. Then take your rabbit. Run. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's, It's just a, it's a phenomenal poem. I love the narrative quality of it. I love, one of the things that's interesting there is you said, you know, patriarchy makes it essential for certain actions to be taken. And in order for women to participate in patriarchy, I guess, or to get anything useful out of patriarchy, they probably have to be a little bit more violent or assertive or, you know, they are forced to, as you said, devour themselves in some way but my favorite bit of that poem in light of what you've said is the last the last word run because yeah. there's still consequences to these women might be powerful they might be witches but patriarchy does not permit this kind of transgression you know you still have to flee once you've succeeded in the act like it's very interesting
1: yeah, I mean, I'm interested in subterfuge in, in, in our mm. interaction in society and, um, you know, subterfuge being the tip of the iceberg, you know, or, or one end of a spectrum that goes through to guerrilla warfare. <laughs> um, sure. you know, so I, like uh, for me, I'm kind of think, I was thinking about, you know, what kind of, you know, what does then happen when you transgress, and um, within that society, within that world? And, and I mean, I'm painting, a, I am interested in painting a picture where men are the victims in these poems as well. You know, there are a lot of hopeless men in these poems. and and they are, I think, made hopeless and hapless by the society in which they find themselves as well. Perfect. Like I don't feel like I don't feel like anyone's winning here, you know. No, it, it doesn't feel
2: like that when you read yeah, them. It feels like yeah, everyone like is that, being forced to, to push through.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't want to be the, the, the witches running away with the rabbit, but I also really wouldn't want to be the poacher, you know? No. And even the fact that even the fact that he's a poacher, like I was kind of interested in the layers there of, you know, it's not, it's not the gamekeeper. These people have snuck out on a moonless night, you know, to, exactly. to try and catch. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I kind of, so there's, there's part of me that enjoys, enjoys those little subtleties around it. Mm. Um, and yes, and yes, that idea that they, everybody still has to run at the end. There is no, there is no happy ending, just a, a Stolen
2: Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, just a stolen rabbit and only for a short amount of time. They are a phenomenal collection and hearing you speak about them really kind of sheds a light on them in a, a brand new way. Like th- there are a lot of layers at work in your witch sequence and it's a, a joy to read. So uh, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, yeah.
2: thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Jessica Trainer. The Witches Sequence from The Quick in uh, 2018, published in 2018 from Daedalus. It's Daedalus. Yeah, Um, And uh, yeah, you can find them and you should buy the book and you should read the poems.
0: They're great. Thanks
1: so much for that, Ben. That was a lovely chat. Thanks a million. Um,
0: If you enjoyed that interview and would like to hear more, I've included two in the description below. If you enjoyed this episode and you know someone else who might, please consider sharing it with them directly. If you've enjoyed this podcast or... If you've been enjoying the podcast for a while, please consider leaving me a review wherever you listen. A link to the transcript of this interview is on my Substack, which is below in the description. If you'd like more poetry related content, you can find me on Instagram at Words That Burn Podcast or on Twitter at Words That burn. I'm also on TikTok at Words That Burn, too. If you'd like to leave me a message or write me an email, you can get in touch through my website, www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com.